Well, how's everyone doing today? Doing good? Well, I want to just take a little bit of time to say thanks to some people last week. Jake, uh, thank you for filling in last week and had an opportunity to watch your video and thought you had a great message last week and so appreciate that very much. I want to say thanks to Tony. <laughs> Tony's always so good to fill in anytime I, I need anything done and thanks for Tony for filling in. Casey, I want to thank you for leading singing and filling in last week and Dave's always here faithfully as well, helping with the screen and with the music. And I know there are others who helped with the offering and things like that, but it was, it's always, you know, I always hate to leave Freedom Baptist Church and not be here. But when I do, it's good to know that the church is in good hands and uh, we, the service goes on and continues on. So thank you so much for that. If you have your Bible and want to turn to Philippians, we'll be back in Philippians today. I've got down that we're going to be, uh, at least we're going to read verses 1 through 11, but we're really going to talk just about two verses. So God's word is awesome, right? <laughs> Even in two verses, you can sometimes get a sermon out of it. We'll see if it's, a, if, if it's a full sermon or not, but I love the book of Philippians. I love the New Testament. I love the whole Bible. But I, I guess especially I'm, uh, and it's probably self-evident that I'm drawn toward the works of Paul and love to hear his perspective on things. And uh, he, he so many times is working with churches who are much like our churches today, I think. Uh, I think a lot of times we think of New Testament churches as being perfect and they had all the answers and they had all the right teachings, but so many times they didn't and they need to be corrected by the apostles. And so the relationship that uh, the churches had with the apostles was very important. And now today, of course, things have changed. We don't have apostles, but we do have pastors who work together with churches to do the work that God has asked us to do. And so uh, we actually looked at Philippians a couple weeks ago and I, I gave you some background material. Actually, Paul's interaction with Macedonia and the area surrounding Philippi, the church at Philippi. And I just want to remind you real quick of some of the lessons that we gained from that, uh, just in case you're working on some of those things. But one of the things that we learned last time is that scripture is for all people. And we'll talk about that again today, but scripture is for all people. Did you know there was a time where that was thought not to be true? That uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, where the Bible was in Latin, it was something only read and studied by the priest. And the everyday common person in the pew did not have access to the Bible. They couldn't read it for themselves, most of them did not know Latin, uh, people in England or France or who had, uh, uh, had mass, they, they did not have it in their language and they were not expected. And it was really uh, looked down upon for people like us, people like you in the pews to read the Bible. And so it's good that Paul tells us that scripture is for all people, not just a select few. Number two thing I had down last week lesson is that we need to think strategically, but also follow the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what Paul did. He had a plan, he had his own plan. I'm reminded of our, I don't know if I could remember it or not, but our quote was from Proverbs today in our Sunday school class. And it said something like, a man plans his way, but the Lord determines his path. And that's exactly what that lesson means, is that we make plans 
to the best of our knowledge about how to do church and how to minister to those who are out in the community. But ultimately, it is God who, who gives us those steps to take. And so we need to follow both of those and always follow the Holy Spirit when his uh, leading overrides our own thoughts. Number three, we, are, we should obey immediately for God's maximum blessing. We should not put off our obedience, but we should obey immediately for God's maximum blessing. Number four, we can expect great things from God. Amen? Amen. We should be able to expect great things from God. And I think we're kind of in a society, we're in the culture where we think very little about God and we expect very little from Him. We don't expect Him to speak to us. We don't expect Him to do the same miracles that He's done in the past. We don't expect for Him to change the hearts of people so that they will believe. But I'm here to tell you, and I want to tell you, I want to be excited about what God is going to do in our church. And I want to expect Him to do big things. I don't think we should settle for the ordinary. And it's really easy to do, right? It's easy to say, well, we've got a pretty good crowd today. You know, uh, but no, we should, we should be anticipating our church growing even during our difficult times. In fact, in the past, it has been in difficult times when the church has grown. And uh, I, I was talking to a pastor last night. It was, it was our newest granddaughter, Addie's first <coughs> birthday party. So she will be one tomorrow, but the birthday party was yesterday and they had it at a church in Princeton, Indiana. And I was talking to the pastor there and he said, tomorrow we will be baptizing eight people. So God wants to do big things and he wants to do big things here as well, I believe. And we've got a little, we've, we have a challenge here, don't we? We have a challenge at Freedom Baptist Church our location, it's been here for a long time. I love our location, but it is more difficult for people to find it and to come here. We have to give them an extra incentive for wanting to come here, right? Our family, our love for one another, our outreach to the community, all those things I think can help overcome our location. So uh, expect things from, from God. Number five, don't fear the powerful, but obey God. Don't don't keep what we have within us, the gospel message, and fear men. Don't be afraid to give that out, but obey God when he says that we are to share the gospel with others. Prepare for persecution. No one wants to see persecution, but the Bible makes this a promise. I can't go against the Bible. It says all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In other words, we as Bible-believing believers, we're going to stick out like a sore thumb and, and we're not going to match in with the world. The world is never going to love us. If it loves us, then we probably have no part with Christ. We're not standing out. We're not being godly. We're not standing up for divisive issues that are biblical issues. And so, like I said, I don't want persecution to come. I don't ask for persecution. But if we live a godly life, if we live the life that Jesus lived, we are going to suffer persecution just as he suffered persecution. Number seven, winning souls is joyful, but it's hard work. It's joyful, but it's also hard work. And I think we need to keep that in mind. Of course, it's all up to God. We may plant a seed one day and that person come to know Christ. 
that very same day. But many times it takes months and weeks and maybe years of praying and soul winning in that person before they will come to know Christ. Number eight, guard your reputation if you call yourself a Christian. It's important. Christianity, or the name Christian is important, right? Because it represents the person of Christ. We stand in the place of Christ. We may be the only uh, picture of Christ that people ever get. So we must be living the gospel and we must be representing Christ well and our reputation must be good. That's why for elders and, and deacons, one of the qualifications is that they have, that they bear no reproach, right? That they have a good reputation. And so that's my review of what we've talked about so far and that's almost a sermon in itself, I realize, but uh, in case some of you had missed last week, I wanted to give you that update and it's important to remember some, you know, these and to really think about the next time we have opportunity to put them into practice. And so for our scripture today, I'm gonna to go ahead and read that. We're going ahead and read verses one through 11 in chapter one, but we'll probably only look at verse number one and two as far as our study today. And then Chet will be here next week and we'll follow up with Philippians a week after that. Let's go ahead and stand for uh, verses one through 11 and pay particular attention to verses one and two. Uh, because that's what we'll be talking about. All right? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it into completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this section of word today that you have designated for us to study and to know about and to grasp today. We pray that you would give us heart, first of all, that is seeking you, seeking a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And we pray that our heart is right with you today, that we have put you as a priority in our life. And that when we see your commands, that we would with joy rejoice in obeying them. We pray that you would give us a heart that is full of courage to accept this truth because sometimes the truth of the word of God is very difficult for us to hear and it brings about fear and even trying to accomplish it, accomplish it. And we know that we cannot do it in our own strength, that we must rely upon you and we pray that you would help us to do that. We pray that you would give us wisdom. What will we do with this truth? Will we 
lay it aside today will we put our hand out in our folder or Bible and just lay it on the desk and forget about it? Or will we actually think about it this week and how we can put it into practice in very specific ways in order to bless someone or to bless others in the church? And finally, we pray that uh, you would help us to love to put uh, putting this, this truth into action, uh, that it would not be tiresome, but it would be uh, done in love, love for you, love for us, and love for others. We thank you for this time. We pray that you would guide and direct us, and we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm always coming up with a bunch of lessons, and I've got three, only three lessons this time. So a lot of times when you do scripture, you take several paragraphs, and there usually is one overarching kind of theme, and then you have points that help support that. This is such a small section, just these two verses that we're going to be looking at, that I just have three short little lessons that we can learn about this. So we'll be looking at verse 1 and 2 very frequently. And uh, starting with these three lessons, I'll just tell you what they are, and then we'll go back and look at them. So lesson number one is the lesson about Paul and Timothy's relationship. It's the lesson about Paul and Timothy's relationship. Lesson number two, the lesson about the need for every Christian to have God's word. The lesson about the need for every Christian having God's word. And lesson number three, the lesson about grace and peace. The lesson about grace and peace. And I would ask that you be praying for me during the, the session. Uh, some of these are relatively easy to explain. The one about grace and peace is not always easy for me to put into words. So pray for me that I would do it in such a way that you will understand what I'm trying to get across. But first of all, let's look about the lesson about Paul and Timothy's relationship. Most of you have been around and read the Bible for quite a while. You know that Paul and Timothy had a very personal relationship, a very intimate relationship. Paul, it seems, was always intentional about investing his life into the life of younger believers. And all you have to do is look at the names at the end of his books and see all the people that he is influenced to know that he wants to pass along what he has learned from the Lord Jesus Christ to other people. And Timothy is one of those, probably his closest disciple. Timothy, in fact, was so important that in this letter, he's included as one of the co-authors, right? So this letter is not only from Paul, but it's from Timothy as well. And I don't know how that works. I'm, I'm assuming probably that Paul did most of the writing Sometimes Paul used a secretary to write down his, his uh, letters because his eyesight was failing, it was thought. And so Timothy could have been his secretary writing these things down. But I can just see Paul writing something and saying, you know, hey, Timothy, what do you think? Does this fit the church at Philippi? And Timothy would give his, his uh, advice to Paul. But that's the kind of relationship that they had. And Timothy was very close to Paul. Obviously, he was this man that was from Lystra, a young man. As far as we know, he was a young man. Lystra, of course, is in modern-day Turkey, so if you can kind of picture that area, he was from, from modern-day Turkey. 
He's known, uh, and this is from the Bible, as someone who may be somewhat timid. So that kind of puts him maybe in the category of some of us who are what they call introverts. I think Timothy was probably an introvert, not really outspoken. And what does God do but give Timothy the gift of evangelism, right? That doesn't make sense, does it? In our world, that doesn't make sense that you would give a timid person the gift of evangelism. You think of an evangelist like Billy Graham, right? Someone who's outgoing, someone who's willing to get up front and to speak the words. But no, he, I believe in order to show his power within Timothy, gives him the gift of evangelism. And Paul, in, I think it's in First or Second Timothy, has to tell him, you need to rekindle that gift. In other words, he, he's let it lapse some, somewhat. So Timothy, he was this, this young man who was somewhat, somewhat timid. He was raised by his mother Eunice and grandmother. We're probably familiar with those names because we've studied 2 Timothy where it talks about that. And they taught him the scriptures. He was most likely actually introduced and led to Christ by Paul on Paul's first missionary journey. So Paul, I, I can't even imagine doing this. You know, uh, I'm 65 now, so maybe I'm at that age where, you know, driving is a little more uh, fearful for me, but, you know, to take off and go to Arizona or something like that, I'd have to, I'd have to really talk myself up to it. I'm just kind of a stay-at-home guy. But uh, I could do it. I could do it. But uh, driving at night with glasses, don't like that. So I'm getting, I'm, talk, I'm feeling my age. But these guys, I mean, they're taking off by foot. They're taking off by sailboat. They're taking off maybe camels, maybe horseback, and traveling hundreds of miles, if not thousands of miles, through areas where there are thieves, all kinds of things on the road that can be harmful to them. So you've got to give them credit for what they're doing. But this is what Paul had done on his missionary journey. On his first one, he's going through Lystra, Derby is another city that's close by uh, to Lystra. And I believe it's there where he gets kicked out and is beaten and thrown outside the city. But anyway, at Lystra, that's where Timothy becomes a follower of Christ and, uh, and uh, most likely he is traveling on this second missionary journey with Paul. But he became someone that was known to be faithful in his walk with Christ and like I said, Paul asked him to go with him on his second missionary journey. And Paul, we know from First and Second Timothy, was discipling Timothy so that at a future time, when Paul was no longer available, Timothy could pick up the reins and continue the work. That's, that's just as simple as what it can be. You know, and you guys probably have had to do that in your place at work. Maybe you retired or maybe you were moving up a position and you had to train someone to do your job. That's exactly what Paul was doing. Although I think it was, must have been very difficult to do. Uh, the work is extremely important. That's why Paul is doing this with Timothy because I don't know, I can't remember my quotes very well, but someone has said that Christianity is just one generation from going extinct. 
if it's not passed on to the next generation, um, then it's just one generation from being extinct. But Paul was teaching Timothy. He, he was teaching him by leading, uh, teaching him to lead by serving because they identified themselves in the first verse as servants of Christ Jesus. So that's different than the rest of the world, right? Leaders didn't serve, leaders were served. And so he's teaching them that he is to be a servant and uh, the work is so important. But we must have people to carry on the work. And that's true in every church, right? Every church you have people who work, uh, you have people maybe who just attend, but we need everyone to work, right? Right? I think that's biblical, that everyone should be involved in some kind of ministry within the church. Maybe it's sending out cards. Maybe it's, uh, maybe you cannot drive and it, it is sending out cards. Um, maybe it's uh, greeting people as they come in, the back door or visitors. Maybe it's uh, helping clean the pew out at the end of the service so that so much is not put upon our janitress. And uh, all, there's all kinds of things that we can be able to do. Some are able to teach, some are gifted to help others, some are gifted to pray, some are gifted in many, many different ways, but we need people to step up and work in the church. The gospel must be guarded and it must be passed on to the next generation. He tells Timothy that in one of the other books. He says, guard the gospel. We must guard the gospel because it is so easily entangled and twisted into something that is powerless. And we know that the true gospel, let me hear an amen on this, is powerful, right? It is, it is powerful. Paul tells us it's powerful in the book of Romans. And so despite the distances that Paul and Timothy had to deal with, because they were not always all together, despite the lack of communication they could have with one another, and despite the persecution that was going on of Christians, Paul still was able to disciple Timothy. Everything tells us that Timothy was faithful to Christ until he was killed a martyr's death. And so they did everything. Without Facebook, without instant messenger, think about what they had to do. They had to write a letter, have someone carry it to another church, which take days, and that's the way they communicated unless they were together. And so I'll just tell, tell it the way Jesus tells us about this. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. I think Paul had this memorized, and he made Timothy memorize this, that we must make disciples. It's hard, isn't it? It is hard to make disciples. Satan will throw up anything in our way to keep us from making disciples. But we must persevere. We must make disciples. And so this special relationship they had was one that was disciple-making relationship. The lesson about the need for every Christian to have the word of God. This word 
from God through Paul and Timothy is for all the saints in Christ Jesus as Philippi, right? That's what the verse says. Verse number one, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. And I mentioned that earlier uh, in the Middle Ages and soon after the Middle Ages, it was thought that the average pew person did not have to have the Bible. We will teach you what you need to know and you will be happy with it. That's what's the attitude. That's not my attitude, but that was the attitude. You can't handle it. That's, that was the attitude of the priest. You can't handle it. We are trained, we are educated. We will interpret the Bible for you. And of course that didn't work out too well. And the great reformation took place back in the 14, 15, 1600s. And that's when people began to realize we can have our own Bible, we can read it. We, by the Holy Spirit, can understand it and interpret it. We can get together and talk about it. It's not that we don't need teachers, but we need to verify this for ourselves because ultimately we will be held to an account personally. And so Paul wants the Christians at Philippi in the pew to know that this message is for them to read it and to act on it accordingly. Sometimes people in the pew can have the wrong attitudes as well. They can say, well, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a leader. I really don't need to hear this stuff. Or they might say, certainly I don't have to do this stuff. And that's a wrong attitude, right? We should all have the attitude that what, the way that God speaks to me through his word is what, what I should do. And the way that I am called and my gifts that I am used, if I use them in the context of the church, the church has some say-so in that as well, but we are to do what God has called us to do. And not to leave the overseers and the deacons out, Paul also includes them as those who need to hear this letter because I can't imagine it in our church, and this is not true about our church, but some deacons or some overseers somewhere might have the attitude, well, I've been to that Sunday school class, I don't need to hear that again. But we do, right? We need to hear the gospel every day. We need to hear that life-affirming truth that Jesus died for our sins and we can have life through believing and trusting in him. We need to have that every day because we fail every day. So God wants to speak to us all and he wants to speak to us through his word. He wants to speak to us through his word. And some might say, well, does he speak to us in any other ways? I, and he can speak to us in other ways, but they're not as effective. He loves to teach it to us through us reading and studying his word. I think that's the number one way that he wants to speak to us. And it's the most intimate because we're dealing directly with him. And so that, I put that at the top of my priority, my time in the Word, is my time to be intimate with God and to understand what He is trying to say to me. Amen. Sometimes, though, we may fall into sin and our thirst and our hunger for the Word subsides. I don't know if you've ever had that happen. But... You have sinned in some way. You're angry with your brother. You're angry with your sister in Christ somehow. And you just don't have the hunger for the word like you used to. 
There's a fallback position. God can fall back and use godly counsel, right? Godly counsel from those other brothers and sisters in Christ to counsel you. I remember, I've, I think I've often told you that there was a period of time in my 20s where I just stopped going to church. And, and Maya, and, or not Maya, but Darla and Crystal and the boys were going to church by themselves. And she would talk to me, but I, I just wouldn't listen to her. But there were a few from the church who would come and say, hey, Rob, we, we really want you to come back to church. Will you come back to church? And that meant something to me. I didn't do it at that time, but it meant something to me. And I think God can use godly counsel. Someone from the church comes to you, shares scripturally what your error is, and gives you an opportunity to repent. I think that's godly counsel, and God can speak to us that way. But most people seem to want to follow God based upon circumstances. And I think that's the least reliable source <laughs> of God speaking to us. Eventually, in my situation, God did speak to me through circumstances because I was too hard-headed to listen to his word or to listen to people. And so a, a variety of things happened. I've told you guys this before, but Within about a three-month period, I lost my job, had a good job at uh, Snap-on Tools. Uh, uh, we had a tornado, that was 89, we had a tornado come through and almost wiped out our house, wiped out all the houses next to us. God spared me, which got me to thinking. And then the third thing was, Darla and the kids had a car accident while traveling to church. So in this case, because I was so hard-headed, because I would not listen to people, I believe God used those circumstances to get my attention and said, you need to pay attention. I'm trying to talk to you and you will not listen to me. And so I did that. I finally did that. God's grace, right? <laughs> God's grace working in my life. And so... If you are absolutely, totally tone deaf to the word of God and you are a Christian, I believe he will rattle your cage or jerk a knot in your tail or whatever expression you want to say, but he will get your attention and bring you back to him. But my recommendation today is listen for God's voice in his word. Learn intimacy with God so that you will hear his still small voice because very often it is a still small voice. Amen. He wants us to really be listening. He wants us to have no distractions from the rest of the world and to be able to focus upon this still small voice. So the word of God is so important. It's so important that at ACA, the, the school that I teach at, we say a pledge to the Bible every day. It goes like this. We say it at Vacation Bible School too. Pledge to the Bible. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path and will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Amen? Amen? Yeah. If we had that attitude every day, that would help, wouldn't it? Have that attitude every day. And so that's your assignment. <laughs> if necessary, memorize the pledge to the Bible and make it 
a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. The lesson about grace and peace. Philippians 1-2. This is a prayer, right? This is a prayer. He's praying for the Philippian church. But he says it in almost every book, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. But verse number two, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, right? We say amen because that is a prayer. We must understand that this is a prayer he's praying for them. He's praying that grace would come to you in a more powerful way than what it has in the past. Now we have defined grace in here before. Uh, we've defined it as God's grace is his unmerited favor toward the undeserving sinner. It's where he shows favor uh, or favoritism. <laughs> we didn't like that word from Sunday school, but he shows favor to those who do not deserve his favor. And that is still true about grace. But he's using it here in this verse as though it's something that we can have more of. Do you understand that? He's saying grace to you. And he says this, by the way, in all his books. I looked on the way up here to church this morning. I thought, I'll just check all of Paul's books, how he opens his letters. And every one of them opens up this way. The only two that were different were the books to Timothy. And he, in the book to Timothy, he says, grace to you, mercy and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So he wants this message to get across. This is not just some uh, dear John introduction to a letter that you kind of toss on there that has so no meaning. This truly has meaning. He wants them to understand that he is praying that they would have more of God's grace and more of his peace. And it comes through God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've defined it as this unmerited favor, but there's another way of looking at grace, and I believe I've mentioned this before, but it is also the power that we have to live the, the Christian life. So if you replace that in verse number two, power to you and peace from, the, from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, then it begins to make a little more sense. And you, got, you, you, uh, you might say, Rob, you gotta, have, you gotta have some kind of reason to say why you can just replace power there instead of grace. Well, I would go to Titus 2, 11 through 12. You don't have to turn there, but listen to this. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So that sounds like our first definition. But then verse 12 of Titus 2, it says that this grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. In other words, I believe what he's saying in those verses is that our understanding and our acceptance of God's grace not only saves us, but it empowers us and trains us to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. So how does that, how does that grace come to us? And here's the part where it's kind of difficult to explain. <laughs> so pray that I would do it well.
When we want to have power in our life from the Holy Spirit, we know that there are some things that will hinder that. One is pride, right? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so the very idea of us wanting power, if if that is rooted in building our own self up and result in pride, is going to result in failure. It's going to result in weakness. And so if we focus on our performance or our good works, then the result of that is pride. If we're just doing things because we think that it's going to puff us up or make us look good in front of other people, it's only going to lead to pride and to weakness. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. However, When we focus on grace, it leads to humility, which results in power. Does that make sense? (laughs) When we focus on grace, God's unmerited favor to us, it humbles us because we realize we're not deserving of the many blessings that God has given to us. It humbles us. And we recognize we're not worthy of what he has given to us. And when we are humbled, we become servants and we serve with great power. So the disciples come to Jesus, right? John and James. And they said, we want to sit beside you when the kingdom comes. One on each side. And Jesus said, that's not for me to decide. That's for God to decide. And they were chastised by the other disciples because it appeared as though they wanted favoritism. They wanted to be in the place of position. And Jesus then tells them that it's not the person who is great in this world who will be great in the kingdom of heaven, but it's the one who is humble and is the servant who will be great in the kingdom of heaven. And so it it all goes back to what I have said so many times before and what the scriptures have told us so many times before is that salvation and our relationship with God is not based upon our works. And yet we always try to go back to that. Even even after we become Christians, we go back to that, trying to earn God's favor by works. And that only results in defeat and weakness. It does, right? It really does. And we could give examples of that. I put down here the disastrous effects of living by works. Uh, We might have a desire to earn salvation or to keep our salvation. We cannot earn our salvation, right? We cannot do enough work to earn our salvation. It must be by grace. It's only by grace. And then God is able to work powerfully within us. We can't keep our salvation by works either, right? Many churches teach this. They teach that you can be saved by grace, but you keep your salvation by works. In other words, if you do some kind of a sin or you don't do something you're supposed to do, then you no longer deserve salvation and you lose your salvation and you must be saved once again. 
That, that's a legitimate, I won't say legitimate, but that's a teaching of some churches. And it's just not true. We never deserved it in the first place. How can we do something to keep it? Because we never deserved it in the first place. The other disastrous effects of living by works is burnout. Have you ever heard of that term in ministry? Burnout. Where you are just doing so much and you feel like you've got to do so much. And if you don't do so much, then somehow God's not going to like you that day and it's going to be a bad day for you. That is a works type mentality that leads to burnout and weakness in ministry. Lack of engagement in ministry. The person who holds back and maybe attends church but doesn't engage in ministry, it's really just a result of pride and a works type mentality because they feel like they're not worthy maybe to do ministry. And if you are a Christian here today, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you are empowered for ministry. You can do ministry. Many times people, uh, they kind of have this uh, opposite idea of works in that, uh, see if I can describe this, but there's the person who comes to work and or comes to church because they feel like that's, the expectation, and at least if they come to church, they will be in favor with God. And that's wrong, right? That's wrong. We don't come to work because it's expected of us or, or because we find favor with God, but because we love the people of God, we love God himself, and we want to worship him. Amen. And so we could go on and on uh, different things. But this idea is that Paul is praying very specifically for them that they be empowered by understanding the grace of God. And that is a very empowering thing. Peter says it a little bit differently. He says we must grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we can grow in grace. And I still don't know if I've got it clear but when we understand what God has done for us as a free gift by his grace, it changes everything and empowers us to do things where we could not do them before. I wrote down here, grace to you is a prayer that we will uh, we will live and serve by his power and not our own as we give glory to God. The last thing I had down here is, uh, is, God is God disciplining me? Because Titus 2, 11 through 12 says that grace is training us to renounce godly, ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And my final question is, is God doing that? Is God disciplining you? Is he molding you into the image of Christ? And the reason I put that down there because if our answer is yes to that, then we have great peace. 
right? <laughs> if the answer is, yes, God has disciplined me, I see signs of him disciplined me, then we should have great peace. That's the answer to that prayer, I believe, is we see God working in us. It gives us confidence that we are Christians and he gives us peace because of that. So we've learned about Paul and Timothy's relationship. We've learned about the word of God is for all people. And hopefully I've gotten across that we grow in grace and we grow in power as we become more and more like Christ. So that's our sermon for today and let's have a word of prayer as we close and see how God might want us to apply this in our lives. Father, we thank so much for this time that we've had. We thank you that even in just two verses, we have three main things that we can learn from this. And we pray that one of these would strike home with each and every one of us. And it would be something that we would think about this week and that we would consider, uh, am I in a discipling relationship? Am I either being discipled or discipling someone else to the glory of God? Am I reading God's word? Do I have a plan to enjoy this relationship with God by setting aside a time where I can pray and speak to him and hear from him from his word that the relationship might deepen? And thirdly, Am I caught up in this rat race of works mentality that leads us to burnout so many times? And it's not that we don't do good works because we should be, of all people, those who are doing good works. But it's not for our salvation, it's because we have been saved. So help us to see our motives in all these things that we might be truly serving you from a heart of love and thanks and gratitude for you. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.